go ahead and have a seat. We are excited to be opening the Word together. If you have a copy of God's Word, let's go to Romans 6 is where we'll be. We are in the middle of a series called Gospel Fluency. And today's sermon is called Gospel Growth. But the idea of gospel fluency for us is basically just wanting to create a way for us to easily articulate, live, and apply the truth of the gospel to our lives. And we started off by talking about our need for the gospel. In Romans 1, it very plainly lays out there for us that every single one of us, because of our sin, is under the wrath of God. We are separated from Him because of our sin. So we all stand in need of God's grace. So last week we talked about the doctrine of justification. And justification, uh, the way we said it, is just as if I've never sinned. But what justification is, is the process of being made right with God. Every single one of us, again, because of our sin, was separated from God. But God loved us enough that he sent Jesus to come and live a perfect life. And Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience to God that ultimately led him to the cross. And when Jesus was on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God that you and I deserved. And when we call out on Jesus and ask him to be our Lord and our Savior, in that very moment, we are made right with God. We are no longer guilty in our sin, but because of Jesus, we have been made perfect and holy. But for a lot of people, that moment right there is the finish line. For a lot of people, this is the end of the road. It's like, okay, I've been justified. We're good now. But the reality is salvation is not the finish line of the Christian life, but rather it's the starting point. When we are saved, that is the beginning of our life in Christ. So what I want us to think about a little bit today is what this looks like moving forward. So maybe even just the idea of, like, I'm saved, now what, right? Uh, now I know Jesus, what should happen in my life now? What should it look like? Because I'm convinced that there are many people who are missing out on the joy and the experience of the Christian life because they've never actually started living it. They're saved and they know Jesus, but they're not actually walking with him. I think there are a lot of people today who may be out playing golf in this beautiful weather, may not ever really go to church, who have made a profession of faith at some point. In fact, they may actually be saved, but they've never really started following Jesus on a daily basis. What I want you to understand this morning is that if you don't have an ongoing day-by-day relationship with Jesus, then there may be reason for you to think about if you really know Jesus or not. If you don't have a real thriving relationship with a real Savior, you may need to ponder if you truly know the Lord or not. Now, I know church people because, as the saying goes, I are one, right? So, at this point, I think it's easy for you to maybe think, all right, I'm glad he's finally getting on these people. It's about time. Somebody's needed to say something. All these people who think they're saved, but they're not doing this, 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 and this. But I want to just warn you, because as foolish as it is to think, okay, I'm saved, I don't really need to do anything else. On the other end of that, it's equally foolish to say, I'm saved, now it's my job to live up to my salvation. That is equally foolish. At the end of the day, here's the big truth I want you to understand. The same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that grows you. The same gospel that saves you is the gospel that grows you. We are saved not by works, but by grace through faith. But at the same time, we grow not by works, but by grace 
through faith. What we're talking about today is sanctification. Are you ready to get theological again? We're getting theological. We talked about justification. Now we're talking about sanctification. So if justification is the process of being made right, sanctification is the process of being made holy or sanctified. So we think about what it means to be holy, what it means for us to become holy. But the reality is, I don't want you to miss that second word in this definition here, process. When we think about sanctification, it is certainly a process for us. Justification happens the moment we give our lives to Christ. When we say, Jesus, be my Savior and be my Lord, at that very moment, we are justified before God. But sanctification doesn't just happen in an instant. You never arrive and say, hey, I'm all the way sanctified. And if you think today, if you're like, hey, that's me, I'm all the way sanctified. No, you're prideful, still got some sanctification to work on, right? Sanctification is an ongoing thing. Theologians would call this term progressive sanctification. The idea is that every single day we are being made into the likeness of Christ, and this is a process that happens over time. You don't just stumble into holiness. Rather, as Pastor Eugene Peterson says it, it's a long obedience in the same direction. So I want us to think about this with all that stuff in mind. Let's dive into the scriptures where the Lord will speak to us. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 is where we'll start. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you are like, hey, I know that one, right? Uh, I think we, we're familiar with a lot of these verses on the Roman road, so to speak. But uh, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes you're driving and you're like, oh, I don't even remember driving the last 30 minutes. But I guess I did. Right. Uh, some of you might have just had that moment as we're reading the text. Like you fade off and then you're like, oh, I found one I remember. OK, uh, some of you are laughing. It might have been you right now, but that's all right. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. And we're going to dive into his word. Jesus, thank you for your gospel. Thank you that your gospel not only saves us, but that your gospel is what grows us and makes us more like you. I pray that you would help us understand what sanctification is. But Lord, ultimately, we're not just seeking understanding. We are seeking sanctification. God, we want to actually become more like you each and every day as we follow you. So thank you for saving us and thank you for changing us daily as we seek you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we dove right into the middle of this passage, and Paul is tackling a question that I think it would be easy for us to find ourselves asking. 
And he knew it was a question that the readers of Romans would find themselves asking. So we've just talked about justification, and he has unpacked that doctrine in very clear ways, saying that your salvation is not up to you. It is not your works at all, but rather it is a work of Christ. And it is by grace through faith that you are saved, nothing else, none of your works. So the natural response to that would be, okay, so if I have nothing to do with my salvation, I can't save, keep, or preserve my salvation, nothing I do, then I guess it doesn't matter what I do. I can just live my life, I'm going to go out and live my best life now and do whatever I want, have a good time, and not worry about the results. And the first verse of chapter 6 says, so should I just go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul very strongly, not only there, but in verse 15, is going to say, by no means. It's the most emphatic no he could give. It's like, no way. And in verses 1 through 14, he says, you died to that. You've died to this way of life. So why would you run back to the grave? If you've been saved from this, if you've been justified, why would you go back to that old life? And in verse 11, he sums it up by saying, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But again, it's important for us to say that this doesn't just happen. If you give your lives to Christ today, it's not like automatically your hurts, habits, hangups and struggles just dissolve and go away and you live the rest of your life floating around on a cloud, you know, we're singing Chris Tomlin songs. That's not how it works. Or Gaither songs, whatever floats your boat, all right? Whatever floats your cloud, just to be consistent. Like, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we need to understand that we're still going to have struggles because we live with this flesh. We live in a fallen world, and the realities of that are still going to be around. And there's something we're going to have to work through. But the reality is, Jesus says we finally have the power to beat sin, We used to not even can do anything about it. But if you're in Christ, verse 14 says sin will no longer have dominion over you since you're not under the law, but under grace. So we have the power to defeat sin in our lives through Jesus Christ. In the verses that we read together, Paul's going to make it very clear that for each of us, there are really two choices. We can be slaves to sin or we can be slaves to righteousness. And he kind of unpacks that and he says that if you're a slave to sin, its end is death. The fruit of that is death and separation from God. Or we can be a slave to righteousness. The fruit of that is sanctification or growing in holiness. And the fruit of that is life. So here's the two choices, death or life. Which are you choosing? Like that's not a hard, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be like, huh, let me just kind of evaluate this, make a list of pros and cons. No, we're going to choose life. So the question becomes for us, how do we become slaves to righteousness? Paul says in verse 19 that he's just using this term slaves of righteousness as a simple illustration. Of course, in these days, slavery was not uncommon. Now, the slavery that was happening in Rome at this time is uh, very different from slavery. When we immediately think of slavery, we think of the horrors that our country went through. And we think of that, but it really was not the same type of slavery. But can I just tell you something? It doesn't matter. Slavery is slavery. And God never intended a man to own another man. And Paul is going to use this as an illustration because this was something that was pervasive in the culture. But but do not attempt to twist the scripture and say that Paul is endorsing slavery here because he is certainly not. 
But what's happening here, Paul is using a very common thing in their culture to essentially ask them this question. What is it that directs your life? Who is it that owns you? Who is it that leads you in the path of your life? What is it that shapes every single part of who you are? So the question for us maybe shouldn't be how do we become slaves to righteousness, but here's what that question really is asking. How do we set off on this journey of sanctification? How do we grow in our holiness day in and day out? How do we become more like Christ each and every single day? Let's read verses 17 and 18 one more time together, because I think these verses really sum up the heart of what Paul is trying to say. Verse 17 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I think this is what sanctification really looks like. And the first thing that we see in this text is a call to have a transformed heart. A transformed heart. I love this phrase in there. It says, obedient from the heart. It doesn't just say, hey people, get your act together, right? Paul's like, hey, you've been saved. Now you better be obedient people. He says, no, this obedience comes from our hearts. I've got toddlers, and uh, they obey a lot of the time, okay? Uh, Not all the time, but a lot of the time. And and I'm just saying that I don't really think that a lot of time their obedience comes from the heart. I, I see them most of the time obeying out of duty or out of obligation or out of fear of the consequences if they make a bad choice, right? Uh, they don't obey from the heart. I've never told my five-year-old daughter, hey, sweetie, why don't you go pick up your room? And, and that she has responded, and I have told her that, but she's never responded by saying, you know what, Dad? You know, now that I think about it, I understand how having an organized room will actually improve my life. And in the long run, it's probably going to be really, really good for me. So thanks, Dad. I really appreciate you. I'm going to go take care of that for you. Never has that happened. In fact, in the first service, she sat over there and said, she just shook her head. And I was like, all right, well, you know, uh, at least we know. But, hey, I still got duty on you, all right? So uh, (laughs) when we get home, no, I didn't do that to her. Uh, But the reality is I think a lot of people today, a lot of Christians obey Jesus kind of like my kids obey me. We obey out of this weird sense of duty or obligation. I don't know that our obedience is always from the heart. But what Paul is saying is that obedience shouldn't come from outward pressure and obligation or duty, but rather our transformed hearts should cause us to long to do what the Father wants us to do. And you need to understand that this is something only Jesus can make happen. I can't transform your heart. A good sermon can't transform your heart. You can't transform your heart. Only Jesus can transform our hearts. This text declares that we ought to present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. And we read that and we think, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to become a slave to righteousness. I'm going to do everything the Lord wants me to do. But don't forget last week's message. Last week's message was all about how do we become righteous and what did we say? Jesus. So you need to understand the only way for us to be righteous is Christ. The call to sanctification, the call to grow in holiness is not a call for you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and be better. 
But rather, it is a call for us to remember the gospel and let Jesus transform our hearts. And as he transforms our hearts, he begins to make us more like him. I can't help but think of Ezekiel 36. God was speaking and pointing to the days of this new covenant that we are in because of the gospel. And this is what he told his people. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Listen, church, until God does his transforming work, until he does his saving work, we cannot grow in righteousness. The only way for us to continue to grow in holiness is to rely on a transformed heart. So there is an order to this that it's important that we understand. We are justified. We are made right with God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. The moment we call out to him as Savior, we are justified and made right with God. But once we are justified, then we get into this process of sanctification, the process of being made holy. Every single day we're following Jesus and we become more like him on a daily basis. Why is it important that we stop down and think about this for a minute? I think it's so easy for people to get this in reverse. We think that we have to clean ourselves up and fix our lives and make ourselves holy so that we can be justified before God. So people even say this. I've heard folks say, I really need to kind of clean my life up before I give my life to Christ. But you need to understand that until you give your life to Christ, you won't be able to clean your life up. But it starts with justification. It starts with surrendering my life to Christ. And once I've surrendered my life to Christ and I know that he loves me right in the middle of my mess and that he is with me and he is leading me and guiding me and directing me, then I'm able to start in this process of sanctification because I'm working from a position of God's love for me and the victory that has been given to me because of Christ on the cross. And when you're working from a position of victory, then you're able to start growing in your faith and growing in holiness. But until we get that in the right order, we're not going to be able to do it. You cannot make war on your sins until you have let Jesus defeat your sin once and for all on the cross. But once you are justified, then you can come into this process of sanctification. Changes your life when you recognize that you are Fighting your sin and your struggles from a place of victory. It's a big difference. I was a basketball player in high school, athlete. Yeah, I know, I look like it, so don't appreciate the laughter. Cut it out. So we had a little thing that it kind of became a family tradition. I have two brothers. They also played basketball, and it was called the Mott Buffer Zone. Here's what the Mott Buffer Zone is. If our team was down by 30 points or up by 30 points, my time to shine, all right? Coach is like, Rusty, come on. So I'm like taking off my warm-ups. I'm like ready to go. And I've always been tall, and I've always been a big guy. But, you know, you put the right athletic gear on me, I might look a little bit like an athlete. I remember I would lead the team out the tunnel. The other team's like, oh, they, they do that that big guy. You know, and then when warm-ups, I'm like slapping the backboard when I put it in. I'm staring them down. I got my headband on. I was like, hey, you want some of this? Let's go. And then the whistle blows, and I go, and I sit on the bench. I'm like, all right, cool. Just waiting for my time, right? And when the mop buffer zone was in effect, you better believe it was on, all right? I still think I probably have the highest points per minute ratio ever uh, at Sperger High School. That's a real stat, okay? Uh, well, at least it is to me. So uh, that's all that matters. But let me just tell you, there was a difference in the way I played when there was nothing on the line. 
I'm jacking up shots. Who cares? You know, and even my teammates, you know, I get it. It was the Rudy situation. I'll take the pity. So, you know, the ball, I'm like shooting threes and stuff because who cares? The game is over. It doesn't even matter. But then there was the most terrifying 30, 40 seconds of my life. It was senior night and I was a senior and I guess coach was like, we got to start our senior. So all of a sudden, this is a district game with implications on the line and I'm in the game. Most terrifying 35 seconds of my life until I could foul somebody so they'd blow the whistle and just get me back in my spot. It's like, this is my spot right here on the end of the bench. Good view of the cheerleaders. We can say, hey, what's going on? You know, there's a game happening too, apparently, waiting for the mop buffer zone to be established. That was my safe place, okay? But there was a difference in the way I played when everything was on me and everything was on the line and when the game was over. Can I tell you, a lot of Christians look like me in the first 30 seconds of a ball game. What am I supposed to do? There's so much pressure. I just want God to be happy with me. I want to make sure everything's okay in my life. I got to get all these things. There's so much of this mess in me. But what happens when you realize that you have been justified and that the game is over, the scoreboard is off, Jesus has already won the victory. And because of that, we are playing a game from a place of victory. So we have freedom to live for Jesus. We have freedom to make war on our sin. We have freedom to follow him and let him transform our lives because of his victory. That only happens when we recognize that we have a transformed heart. Stop trying to transform your own life. It's not going to work. When you realize that Jesus has already transformed your heart, then you can start seeking to follow him and he's going to transform your life too. Let's get real practical here for a second because I understand this is one of those like we could go home right now, you feel good about it. It's like, yeah, Jesus transformed my heart. That's cool. But Paul gets very specific and I think it's important that we see this. Look again at verse 17. Let's read it again. I feel like I play basketball. I got a little, started preaching there for a second. Hang on. We're good. I didn't have a donut in between services. That's what it is, y'all. Pray for me. Trying to avoid that sugar, but it's just, you know, I think maybe this is the Lord speaking to me. Next week, I'm going to have to get a donut again. So, Sorry, it's sanctification. It's happening right here in front of you. Verse 17, the word of God says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to what? to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. This standard of teaching, some of your translations will say pattern of teaching or form of teaching. So what is it that we are obeying from the heart? We, we want our hearts to be transformed so that we can seek to obey the pattern of teaching, the standard of teaching. This is talking about the Word of God. Specifically, in this context of this passage, it's talking about the law and the Old Testament. That's what they had. That was the word of God at this time. But I think we would be safe to say the Holy Spirit knew that today, as we talk about this, that we would have the completed word of God in front of us. But some of you might would say at this point, wait a second, Rusty, I've read Romans 6 and 7, and Paul says we're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace. But here's what happens when we get saved. Not only do we have a transformed heart, but we have a transformed law. In chapter 7, Paul explains that the law was a good thing. God created and instituted his law, and it was a good thing. If we were to follow the law of God to the letter, then we would find ourselves in a great position in the middle of God's blessing. It is his perfect design for us to live the best way we could possibly live. We would find ourselves in a good place. The problem is we couldn't keep the law. 
So the law was good, but sin caused the law to be something that only made us feel guilty and only pointed us toward guilt. It couldn't save us. All it could do is make us guilty. But the law of God, the commands of the Lord are good and true. But for sinners like us, it just weighed us down. It's kind of like if you're sitting beside a health nut and you're eating a donut and they look at you and say, hey, man, you really don't need that donut. Not going to make a lot of friends that way. Let me just tell you that. But the law was like, hey, you don't need that donut. And also you're heading towards eternal damnation. Really not making friends that way, right? But that's what the law did for us. The law just reminded us that we don't measure up. This is God's standard and we are not living up to God's standard. That's what happened. But when we're saved, when Jesus gets a hold of our life, when we are justified, it transforms the way we see the law of the Lord. Since we're justified in Christ, we're no longer guilty under the law. But instead, we're free to see this in a whole new way. See, the law of the Lord, the commandments of God are no longer a burden and a standard that we can't attain to. But because of Christ, we've already attained to that standard. So when we read the law of the Lord, you know what it is now? It is a lighthouse that is pointing us in the direction of God's blessing and plan for our lives. When we look at the word of God, it's not something that just makes us feel guilty. But instead, it is the path towards our freedom. It is the path towards life for us. We know that God's word stands ready to lead God and direct us to the place of his blessing. When we follow his commands, it makes us more like him and we want to be like Jesus. That's the goal of sanctification is to become holy, to become more like him each and every day. And as we read the word of God, it helps us do that. Do you see how this changes things? So you don't just read your Bible and say, man, I'm terrible at all this stuff. Have you ever been reading the Bible and you're like, oh, I don't like the way this is making me feel. I'm going to a different spot, right? I've been there. Say, man, I'm done with that section. Moving on. But here's how we can look at this. This isn't saying, hey, uh, Rusty, you're terrible at life. You know what this is? Rather than feeling guilt or shame when we read the Bible, we need to understand that it is a beautiful invitation. By God's grace, he is saying, this is the path for your life. And if you will follow me, if you will hear and respond to my word, then you will experience a deepening relationship with me. And as you walk with me, I'm going to make you more like me and you are going to become holy. You are going to become sanctified day in and day out as we follow him together. That changes the way we open the Bible. Rather than opening the Bible and feeling guilty, you need to open the Bible and rejoice. Because when we open the Bible, God is molding us and shaping us into the people he wants us to be. You want to transform your daily Bible reading? That's how you start. By recognizing that God's word has been given to us so that we can hear his voice and allow him to mold and shape us into who he wants us to be. This is how the gospel grows us. This is how the gospel grows us, because Jesus loves you. Church, hear me when I say this. Jesus loves you. Right now, right the way you are now, with your sin and your junk, your hurts, habits, and hang-ups, he loves you right now. He knows you, too. That's the crazy part about it, right? Like he know, And when I say knows you, like he knows, knows you. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if you thought about the, 
worst thing that you have had in your mind that you've thought about this week? Let's not even go week. Let's go today. The worst thing that you have thought today. What if it were to blow up on the screen behind me right now? Anybody signing up for that? Not me. The reality is Jesus knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. The deepest, darkest parts of who you are that you wouldn't want anybody in the world to know about. They give you feelings of great guilt and shame that you hide and try to push back to the very corner of your heart or soul. Can I tell you something? Jesus looks that directly in the face and then looks you in the eye. And you know what he says? I love you. You were completely known but you're also completely loved by our Savior. And when you know that, it's a game changer. Because Jesus loves you right now because of the gospel. The reality is is that he has given us his word because he loves us and wants us to experience his life that comes from seeking him on a daily basis. So we open up his word, not because it's a checklist on our religious to-do list, but instead we know God speaks to us. And when he speaks to us, he's changing us and making us more like him. And he is leading us where we need to go. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God wants to grow you? Do you believe that God wants to use you to do incredible things for his kingdom? When you're freed from the guilt of your sin, then you can experience God's love in a way that actually transforms you. Transforms your heart, and when it transforms your heart, it begins to transform your day in and day out life. Where are you at today? Are you growing in Christ? Perhaps as we've talked about this today, you say, well, I've been trying to make myself holy, but I realize as we've talked, I've never been made right with God. I've never been justified. If you've never experienced the truth of the gospel, if you've never experienced the work of Jesus on the cross, if you've never called out to him and asked him to be your Lord and Savior, let today be the day of salvation for you. Don't wait because he stands ready to absolutely change your life. But some of you may be like me and say, well, I've already given my life to Christ. But here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Are we still growing today? Are you really growing in your relationship with Jesus Or did you stop somewhere along the way? Did you kind of get enough that you feel like, okay, I'm good now? And and listen, church folks, again, I think it's easy for us to grow maybe in knowledge, but not really grow in love for Jesus. Bible studies are great. Podcasts are great. Books are great. But growing in knowledge of Jesus is not the same as growing in love with Jesus. Do you love Jesus more today than you did yesterday? Do you have a real tangible relationship with a real and living savior if not the invitation today some of you right now see right there you're like oh i feel guilty did you not just hear what i said in the sermon (laughs) this isn't a call to feel guilty i don't want you to feel shame you know what this is god's grace is giving you this wonderful invitation said it wasn't about just getting saved and then trying to be good but instead give your life to me and let me Transform your life in a way that I can use you for incredible things. This is how the gospel grows us. This is sanctification. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel that saves us, but also that grows us. Lord, it's so easy, I think, for us to be people who 
try to fix our own lives. Even before we're saved and even after we're saved, we try to be good people doing good things instead of just being your people. So Jesus, I pray that we would grow more in our relationship with you each and every day. God, that we would be growing individuals, growing families, and a growing church. We're not after just more people, Lord. We want to be growing in our love for you in such a way that we know you're going to take care of the rest in our church family. Lord, I pray for rest for weary souls in here who have maybe been desperately trying to make themselves holy. Lord, would you convince us today of our need for you? I pray, God, that we would no longer be slaves to sin, to guilt, to shame, to fear. But, Lord, we would recognize that we are children of God. Lord, that you would help us to live in the reality of that. Thank you for your gospel.